You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Bax. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. So, one, two, three, and then clap. Before, somehow it turned into one, two, clap, and I don't like that. I think it has to be one, two, three, clap, because you got to get that pace up to it. Okay, so one, two, three. Good enough. I can never tell if it's good. That'll that'll be for Mike to figure out. All right, let's do this. You are flying high on the Gautin and Solak show here. No, 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 not quite. Sorry, guys. This is BGN Radio episode number two. I mean, it is with me, and I am joined today by... The best doggone host in the game, as someone referred wow, to Wow, I, I got a promotion. Usually I'm the best doggone <laughs> co-host in the game. Mike really likes co-host. to reaffirm that I'm down there. So I appreciate the host uh, the host bump. That's nice. Absolutely. Oh, well, look, you know, I'm usually not driving the show, Ben. So this is always a fun and different experience for me. I'm not really good at talking. I'm not good at writing. So it kind of makes you wonder how, you know, I have a job in this. But anyway, there are more important things to get to today. First of all, again, a reminder, this is a new podcast feed you are listening to. So we really appreciate when you rate, review, and subscribe. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the best way to do that, I feel like, is on Apple Podcasts. Even if you don't use Apple Podcasts, go there, leave a five-star rating, obviously, no less than that, five stars, and then give us a review. Tell us what you like, you don't like, uh, tell us how you hate Ben, tell us how you don't hate Ben. All that important stuff needs to go in the reviews on iTunes. Ben, I, you, I know you guys talked about this last week, but we were a top five podcast right, right out of the gate. I was going to say, you said the best way to rate and review is on, on Apple Podcasts or on iTunes. And I would agree because over 200 people or something awesome. have already taken the opportunity to rate. And like I think about 100 people have, have reviewed that we've existed for like three episodes. So clearly that that's where the cool kids are, BLG. Everybody's jumping off the bridge. So you might as well join. It's pretty awesome. I thank everyone for the support you guys have made this, I think, about as seamless as it could be for, you know, an, uh, an interesting, a different strain situation. But look, we have a lot of Eagle stuff to get to. The season is only 17 days away from when we are recording this on Monday, August 20th. So very exciting times here. And one of the m- most things to be excited about is that Carson Wentz is back 11 on 11 for the first time since the Eagles backed him off in training camp. Ben, Uh I know you said to me that 
when we were at training camp together, and that's a big reason why we're doing this episode, by the way, probably should have started with that, is that Benjamin Solak himself and I were both there at Eagles training camp, and we figured, well, we need to do something with this. We were both there. We were talking every day. We probably could have made so many hours of podcast content just from our discussions. We said at least once every like two or three days, it was like, man, this would, this would be a great podcast. Yes, really excited, exactly. Really excited to start doing podcasts again. So this is fun because we're just kind of, you know, this is a, the dam broke, and we're finally here with just a, a flood of, a torrent of information to talk about. But yeah. Carson, uh, 11 on 11s is huge deal, especially because I was on Philadelphia Sports Talk with Jeff Warren, great show, like two days ago. And I was saying, yeah, Carson's great. He's super healthy. He's going to be fine. And then he's back at 11 on 11s. I'm feeling pretty good about that, number one. But you and I, we talked about this for the entirety of camp. At no point did he look unprepared, unready, skittish, uh, favoring his left side, nothing. You know what I mean? He never once to me appeared like a player who was uh, cognizant of significant injury risk or, you know, uh, dreading contact, worried about the long, arduous road of recovery before him. He seemed like a guy who was wearing a brace because he had a bad knee. And other than that, he was ready to go. You know what I mean? And so I, I'm very happy to see they've gotten back in 11 on 11s. I think this is a, a, a good sign that, you know, he'll be, he's on pace. He'll be able to play week one. But by the same token that them taking him away from 11 on 11s to me wasn't a huge signal. I don't think them putting him back in 11 on 11s is a huge signal in the other direction. You know what I mean? To me, the most important thing is going to be how well uh, he's he's testing in the weight room, uh, how his explosiveness is, how his power is. They've got all that data. They've got their trainers. And we're not going to have access to that. So we're never really going to know that. Uh, but from what I see, you know what I mean? I, this does not look like a player who's got significant injury concerns. Ben, the first thing I will say is that you got the name of the podcast you were on wrong. It is the Philadelphia Sports Table, not Philadelphia Sports Talk. Oh, so I'm embarrassed. I mean, you've just been banned from their podcast by me. I, I'm, I'm not even in control everything. of it. But um, but seriously, though, the, the Wentz thing, obviously, is the big topic right now. I think I agree with a lot of what you said. If you had to put it at a percentage, because we like arbitrary percentages here. Yes. Uh, what percentage would you put it at? Because I'm going to see what you say, and then I'll give you my answer. I am tempted to take like 70, but I'm going to take 60, and here's why. If you've got, you know, if you've still got health questions with Alshon Jeffrey, and you've still got health questions with maybe Brandon Graham, who obviously was activated off the pop list recently, I think that was today. Uh, and so, you know, Brandon Graham, that's a positive outlook for him. But if you still got health questions there, you have no Nigel Bradham. Maybe Nelson Aguilar's thing is still leaking in. You know, Corey Clement hasn't practiced the past couple of days. A lot of like uncertainty as far as who's really fully healthy and who's just kind of resting and whatever. If you're already a depleted roster, then maybe you say, listen, let's not even, you know, put Carson in a situation where we don't even think we're in a good spot to to come out and be competitive with the injuries that we have, you know, which would really suck if that's how you have to approach things. But it might be, you know what I mean? So I'll, I'll lose a few percentage points for that. Give me 65. That's where I'll put it. 65, a good Lane Johnson jersey number percentage. I will yes. go a little bit higher and I'm going to say 100%, Ben. He is playing Oh, week wow. One. Okay. I've said it all along. I am not going to come off this unless there's a setback that we can't see. Now, I can't project that, but I'm saying... If everything continues to be on pace, I still believe that way. Now, I get that he's saying it'll be close, and maybe you look at that and you're like, man, maybe he's not going to be ready. I just feel like from what we've seen, and when we were there at Camp Ben, I know you weren't dialing into him, but 
you did see enough from him where he clearly yeah. looked like he was not limited at all, as you said. He looked not only did he look healthy, but he looked great. Like he was having very strong practice performances, as far as I could tell, when he was out there. And then he, he was able to still do seven on seven. It wasn't the full team 11 on 11, but it wasn't like he was just totally sitting on the shelf there, not doing anything during practice. He usually finds a way to make the most of his practice time. The whole team will be doing something else. And then all of a sudden, Carson is like doing sprints on another field. He, to me, is going to be ready for week one. And I still feel pretty good about that. I mean, again, there's 17 days. I think that's enough time to really get him in. I believe the team when they did want to back him off because they felt like they saw enough and they didn't need to risk injury anymore. I think he's going to have enough time to start by week one. And I feel pretty good about that. Do you think I am crazy? No, I don't. I, I My loss in percentage points is exclusively uh, attributed to how valuable he is to the franchise and how careful they're going to be with him. Uh, the, the comfort levels they clearly have in their quarterback room as far as the alternatives they can put out in the field. And then the last thing I noted previously being the fact that they're going up against a very tough Atlanta team and they may already be depleted as far as who's out on the field, which may, you know, de-incentivize them from, you know, pushing Carson. So they're waving really... the white flag in week one already? Well, what I'm saying is if, if you are <laughs> very much on... If like let's say you're right on you know the razor's edge. You have you're not sure which way it's going to fall. It is the truest of game time decisions. I think if you're missing you know Nelson Aguilar and Alshon Jeffrey both, that's going to impact your decision slightly. You know what I mean? Like you 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 he you're going to put him out there without two of his top receivers, two guys that he threw to all last season. You know like how effective is he really going to be in that sort of a situation? I think it, it does matter to me physically. I, I fully agree with the information we have. He should be ready week one. The mitigating factors are outside of what he looks like on the practice field. Okay, that's fair. And I think uh, if he isn't ready, for some reason, we do see that Nick Foles is back at fra- practice. Looks like he is fine. Uh, doesn't seem to be any kind of major issues with that shoulder. I don't know if he plays against the Browns. I don't. I wouldn't mm-hmm. expect him to play much, I feel like, if he does. Who's that, because, Carson or Nick? Uh, Nick, because just you know, you have that injury scare. Um, I think you kind of want to be a little bit extra careful there just in case. Mm-hmm. Then again, they might want to get him some reps because he and just looked so awful against the Patriots. And which you, is, can't, you can't be cutting into Hackenberg's reps now. We oh need to get, my God. see well, him we're on the field for the preseason. All right. Well, maybe we shouldn't actually. But um, Ben, just I need you to, to help the people understand I am not crazy when I say that Nick Falls does not look good in practice. Uh. I was gonna, I was gonna expose please, you for it. I was gonna say bre- breaking training camp news. Y'all don't understand how much BLG loves to rag on Nick during practice. He just BLG just lords over all the beat reporters at his monumental height, and he peers down his nose at Nick Foles and scoffs at every passing attempt. And it's really a sight to behold. Not everyone, Nick, just the bad ones, which is a lot. Which you you categorize some decent throws as bad throws, but no, well, widely, I was widely yes. Foles Foles is not a stellar practicer. He admitted it. He said he's a gamer. Yeah, yeah. Foles is not a a, a consistent player. He's not a known quantity week in or week out. And this has no bearing on the performance that he had against New England. He could have played out of his mind uh, against the Patriots in the preseason I'm talking about. And he would have been a an, an inconsistent, high-variance player. He could have laid a total goose egg against the Patriots in the Super Bowl, and he would have been an inconsistent, high-variance player. Delivers some great performances, some really shaky ones. 
let's not forget that that first half against Atlanta was ugly, and then the second half was significantly better. This is just a guy who, who it, it, it's tough to know what you're going to get from him, drive in and drive out, pass in and pass out. And so, yeah, in practice, uh, no real game planning, low intensity, just kind of going out there slinging the pill, especially now as a veteran who's won a Super Bowl, who you know has kind of done the whole journeying thing. You're a little bit hackneyed. You're a little bit jaded. It's not like he's really trying to kill practice. He's comfortable with how he's viewed in the building. So no, he's not a good practicer. He is not a a, a consistent level player. Uh, Philadelphia would love to be able to convince some other teams that he's a consistent level player and maybe acquire some capital via trade for him. But that's something that, you know, is kind of on the back burner as far as how much we get to talk about it. Yeah, Foles doesn't inspire you in practice. Nah, Joe Callahan doesn't. Nate Sudfeld kind of does sometimes, not really. Always does. Sometimes, not really, as I said. We miss Carson. We'd like to see Carson back in 11 on 11s, that's for sure. Okay, so more good news on the injury front as Brandon Graham is coming off the physically unable to perform list. Ben, I think you had a really good tweet when you declared that Brandon Graham is now physically able to perform he is pap instead of pup so that is a very good sign it it doesn't look like he's a full participant back in practice just yet jim schwartz had kind of cautioned against that during his press conference on monday but it is good to see a fellow blg that is brandon graham's initials being or his full name being brandon lee graham uh so we are two blgs in that regard it's good to see him back out there it strengthens that defensive end rotation. I mean, he played the most snaps of any Eagles defensive lineman last year. He led the mm-hmm. team in sacks with 9.5. Having him back out there is good. I don't know. We don't know 100% if he'll be ready for week one, but he has said that has been the goal along. He has said that he has been ahead of schedule in his recovery from that high ankle sprain that he played through when he stripped sack Tom Brady, and he had an awesome end to the postseason there. So it is good to see him back at practice as well. No, absolutely. And, and I doubt we'll see anything significant from him this preseason. I doubt we'll see, you know, a huge amount of anything like, you know, from practice. Like he'll be out there running with ones tomorrow or anything like that. It's going to be a long road. Again, you know, week one availability to me is a question mark because just this entire team is trying to make it out of the medical tent for the week one game. But Brandon Graham is exciting and interesting because it's contract year. Right. And, and his upcoming contract is, yeah, it's huge. And, and it's not even the biggest thing they might have to deal with, just in the sense that, you know, they might be planning for Carson Wentz's contract extension upcoming, not this uh, year, but the end of next calendar year. And so I'm excited to see what he does. Obviously, Brandon Graham's still chasing that double digit sack season on the wrong side of 30 now. Such a weird, interesting career arc for him. You know, again, we're about three years from removed from Brandon Graham supposedly trying to be a 3-4 outside linebacker and being called a bust. Like, how? what an about face for him. So very interesting to see what he does this season. He's you know he's a player to watch, obviously, on the field and everything, but I'm going to be paying a, a big attention to his box score because those numbers are going to matter come contract time in a big way. Staying in the NFC East here, Ben, but going to a different team, there is some big news today as a certain high-profile running back has signed with a certain name of a team that I will not be saying right now. We refer to them as Washington or the Washington the football team. team. Yes. Ben, Adrian Peterson, you must be just shaking in your boots now that he's back. Here's what's here's what's amazing. Here's what's just is extraordinary to me. Is that we're we're in an age increasingly so where it's acknowledged that 
your running game is more so predicated on the ability of your offensive line, and Washington's got a pretty good offensive line. Underrated, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 secondary, your running backs, you want them to be able to fill multiple roles, and you want them to be able to give you different things and, and use them in the passing game, and it's a passing league. And running back by committee is something that a lot of teams use, and they use very successfully. And Adrian Peterson, even at... The, the height of his extraordinary, mind-breaking ability was a one-trick pony in that he was one of the, the last of a, a dying breed of just these powerful interior runners and obviously had an unbelievable explosiveness and his ability in a straight line and he was elusive at his size in the second level and that's what made him a Heisman winner and an incredible player and a pro bowler, etc., etc. But he's 33 now. Oh, I... To to lose a player like Darius Geis and to bring in Adrian Peterson, which is just a, a facsimile, it's just a shade, it's a shadow of what you would have had with Geis, instead of just sitting and waiting for a plethora of good young running backs to be cut after the third preseason game, before the fourth season, I don't understand it. Because we're, we're, we we have a surplus of running back talent in the league, BLG. Just undrafted free agents and, 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 and seventh-round picks just bouncing around, becoming key contributors in places. You know what I mean? Like, think about it this way. Uh, uh, San Francisco, they're starting their, – their top three running backs are likely going to be uh, McKinnon, who they acquired from uh, Minnesota in free agency, who was not a high draft pick, if memory serves. Uh, Matt Breda who's a second-year player, I believe a seventh or maybe a fifth-round selection. I can't remember. And then Raheem Moster. Remember remember Raheem? He's gonna make it. He's going to make it on that roster. Purdue 60-meter dash, like Big Ten champion who then became a kick returner or whatever. He's going to make it on that roster because Shanahan knows that he can use that speed. As a result, Jeremy McNichols, the Boise State fifth-round pick from Tampa Bay, he's going to get cut from that team. Uh, they've got somebody else who who is kind of decent who they thought was going to make that roster. He's going to get cut from that team. There's too many good running backs. Just wait for the young ones and grab one and see if you can make him something. What does Adrian Peterson offer you in a three-year window, in a five-year window? Nothing. It is a textbook Dan Snyder move, which thank you, Dan Snyder, for owning Washington and keeping them down as you do. That is a very good job by you. And I mean, look, yeah, if you're Washington, why don't you just wait until Donnell, Donnell Pumphrey gets cut and just, you know, and then you just save the franchise right there. So putting that little shot at Donnell Pumphrey aside there. Um, I ignored it completely. I, I didn't know, hear it. Ben with the no sell. Uh, Alfred Morris. Alfred Morris in San Francisco. They're probably going to cut Alfred Morris. He's at least kind of younger. He's 29. He could go back to Washington where he started out. But um, getting back to the Eagles here, uh, that was just too big not to address with Adrian Peterson. Some kind of interesting things out of the press conferences today by Mike Rowe and Jim Schwartz. And when I say press conferences out of Mike Rowe and Jim Schwartz, I really just mean Jim Schwartz because, with all due respect, Mike Rowe is not the most enlightening person when it comes to giving things away in press conferences he's pretty guarded that's his choice it's fine but i'm just gonna say it's not always the most insightful thing so jim schwartz on the other hand kind of was a little extra chatty today i would say he talked about a number of things two things that stood out and are kind of get us into our main crux of the show here uh, of things we learned from eagles training camp is that the nickel cornerback job, which we saw, is still kind of up in the air there between Sidney Jones and Avante Maddox for the most part seemingly now is going to be decided, or at least Jim Schwartz saying that Thursday night's game against the Browns will go a long way deciding that battle. Also, the linebacker position, not just the weak side spot, but what they do with Nigel Bradham 
and uh, what's Nigel Bradham's suspension, I mean, along with the weak side position. So we'll get into some of that here. I don't want to get into that right away just because we're getting into position by position. So, Ben, we'll start with the quarterback. We already talked about Carson Wentz and Nick Foles a good extent, but we have to get to the best quarterback in NFL history ever, Nate Studfeld. Baby, what have you liked out of Nate Studfeld? Because I know you've had some criticism of him, but, Uh I mean, last week against the Patriots, probably the best quarterback performance I've ever seen, no exaggeration at all. No, that – changed my my outlook on life i'm a much more positive person now i believe listen here's what's the best thing about studfeld when it's a tuesday and you've been at camp for three days it's fourth day and it's 94 degrees outside and you're staring into the sun and nobody wants to be standing or be alive anymore and you watch nick Foles check it down five times against (laughs) the third team defense and you just are questioning the meaning of existing study comes out and just uncorks it studfeld does not care oh like split safeties yeah i don't care i'm throwing the boundary go let's hit it here we are he's just ready to launch at any given time which is awesome number one but number two what it does illustrate is that he's a player who understands my strength is my arm strength I've got a good core of wide receivers I know I've got Gibson who's fast I know I've got Marcus Wheaton who's good in the air I'm just gonna put it up there for him I'm gonna trust my receivers to make a play for me you know as as a quarterback a young quarterback in training camp you want to make high quality plays but very often as a quarterback a high quality play is just giving one of your receivers a shot to make a high quality play Right, sometimes the the high quality read, the the highly accurate throw, isn't like necessarily there for you. Your job is to just get the ball in play and let somebody else make a big play on it. That's the reality of quarterback play, and Studfeld does that. You 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 alluded to my my issues and my complaints with Nate. Really, what it comes down to is he doesn't see the field very quickly, and so he's not an elite, uh, short to intermediate passer. He doesn't really uh, operate with anticipation. All right, this player is going to break into this area, and because this clear out route is going through this area, that zone defender is going to keep moving so I can put the ball right here and it will arrive on time completion. He doesn't see the field that way, which is a, a, a tough trade. And there are starting quarterbacks in the NFL who don't see the field that way as well. It's tough to be a, an elite, a top half of the league quarterback, but there are starting quarterbacks who are, you know, serviceable in that regard. And so as a result, you know, he can put the ball in some dangerous spots. We've seen some interceptions that you're just kind of wondering, what were you looking at, my guy? Like, what did you not see the dude? And the reality is he just didn't. He doesn't have great uh, short intermediate vision. And so that timing offense that Peterson likes to run, uh, a lot of those quick throws, those one read ideas, Sudfeld can hit some of those, the one read ones, RPOs, like he can fit the ball into tight windows because he's got a laser. But some of those timing ideas he might not be super comfortable on, which means that when he's on the field, the offense might look a little bit different. That being said, what you did see against New England was a player who he's, he's willing to roll out extend plays, work with his wide receivers down the field, and take shots. And that's always going to end up in not only splash plays that are fun for fans to watch, but coaches will see that and say, all right, I can't teach that. I can try to improve the short intermediate area stuff. It's difficult to, but that's what you know coaches believe, and that's why coaches get paid money. And so that's, that's Sudfeld represents such a fun quantity for Doug Peterson and for this very quarterback oriented staff because he has those unteachable things that not only as fans we enjoy so much but as just coaches they it's a blast to watch and it's a blast to work with because he's willing to take those risks yeah and one of the interesting things that I thought about too is Nate kind of was just very honest after the Patriots game and said that look I'm getting reps here as opposed to he really wasn't in Washington so 
Washington's big mistake there, you know, which I think was, you know, letting him kind of go too early, especially when they were having a volatile quarterback situation with Cousins clearly not going to be around beyond last season. Uh, Not the best decision by them, but I think ultimately a pretty good decision for the Eagles, as I think Sudfeld has proven at the very least, he can be your long-term backup to Carson Wentz. He'll be a restricted free agent after the season, but it should probably be pretty easy to resign him and just have that stability behind Wentz. And then I think the Eagles are going to potentially have Christian Hackenberg around on the practice squad this year to to compete with Sudfeld for the backup job or a third-string quarterback job. But look, I don't even want to get into Christian Hackenberg any more than that because it's too painful. I want to move on to the running backs, Ben. We saw... The running back, to me at least, you know, like, what are you really getting a ton out of in training camp because you're not seeing the contact. You're not seeing anything too new anyway with the players that they have. Like We know, for the most part, I feel like what Jay Ajayi is. Obviously, you know what Darren Sproles is at this point. He looks completely healthy, so that's great to see. Corey Clement, I think he looks better than he did last year, but you still have an idea of what he brings to the table. The fourth running back spot, which is just oh so intriguing, even though that player probably will not play is a disaster. It is a disaster <laughs> of a battle. No one no one is able to win this thing. I think Donald Pumphrey might somehow be back on the lead just because he is not looking terrible. But then I say that, and Doug Peterson kind of ruled out Donnell from playing this week, so sounds like he's not going to be there. Josh Adams still isn't at practice on Monday. Jay Ajayi is missing practice. Ben, what is going on at running back? What is the thing you learned there from training camp this offseason? Uh, it's just... So bad. Okay, here's the thing. I'm going to tell you the thing, Brandon. Are you ready? Ready. And I know you agree with me on this, and there are other beats <laughs> oh who boy. disagree with me on this, but Pumphrey was clearly running back four while he was healthy. Yes or no? Yeah, I mean, not like miles ahead, but yes, he was ahead. Yes. Right, he was clearly running back four. And even when things were even, Wendell, Josh Adams, Matt Jones, Danell Pumphrey, Pumphrey at least gave you the best receiver out of that bunch, even while things were even just as runners, and that in and of itself is valuable. And you would say, okay, well, Pumphrey provides nothing in pass protection, but guess what? None of the other ones do. Wendell will put out a good pass protection rep, and you'll be like, yes, finally. He figured it out. Deuce Daly's a wizard. Here we go. And then the next pass protection rep, I have no idea what he's doing. Like, What are you looking at, Chief? What's happening here? It's so inconsistent. And with pass protection, at least be consistent so I know what's going to happen. You know what I mean? Matt Jones, I cannot remember a, a really He's good banned. rep. He's banned from the podcast. From Matt, Matt Jones. Jones. you're not allowed on. And then Josh Adams. And, and people got very excited about Josh Adams. After the first preseason game, we had a couple of good runs. Somebody said that Josh Adams looks better than Pumphrey ever did, which is heresy. <laughs> Was that me? No, 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 no. It was a beat reporter we were sitting next to who shall remain nameless. Okay. But for being a successful runner, for picking up positive yardage, okay, he does not represent the athletic profile that even Corey Clement does, let alone Darren Sproles, J.H.I., or Wendell Smallwood, or Danell Pumphrey. He has no market physical traits. He does not look like a running back. He runs upright. He's easy to bring down. He does not have good change of direction ability. He doesn't bring power to the contact point. He can run through a hole. And he did that for a few years in Notre Dame and it went really well for him. And he did that in the first preseason game and it looks great. But if you ask him to do anything beyond a basic running back's responsibilities, he does not bring anything to the table for me whatsoever. And so uh, who are you keeping? Honestly, at this point, I, there's still, a, I think, a prayer of a hope for Wendell in that 
if, if he can just delineate himself as a slightly better pass protector than the other three, and he still has his special teams additions, then okay, maybe. We'll just yeah. screw around and keep him another year for fun. But at this point, I just went off about how many good running backs are going to hit the market after the third preseason game. Pick up one of them. Pick up a young if guy. If you can, the Eagles are last on claimers because they won the Super Bowl. That's a good point. But pick up some small speedster, a uh, quick guy, and tell Donnell to get freaking healthy or get out of the building. Because at this point, you know, obviously, if it's the hamstring again and it's because of the added weight, then he's not going to make it in the NFL, as much as that pains me to say. And so you you got to be able to uh, fulfill that mold. You got to be able to replace him. And so at, at this point, I, I'm so unexcited about that stupid position and i was mm-hmm. so excited about it i was sitting down in the seat man ready to watch the steelers ready to watch pumphrey get some second team reps put, <laughs> mess up some guys in space couple screens and then somebody's like hey i don't see Danelle out there and my world came crashing down and i still have not yet recovered and now i'm just jaded and sad yeah so a couple closing thoughts on that i think i have a conspiracy theory that maybe uh, they are okay with Dono sitting out because they feel like you know they have seen enough and they're like just get healthy. But eh, I mean I don't I don't feel great about that. Yeah. And I think with Josh Adams maybe they try to stash him on IR. You know if he has this lingering issue. Obviously he he missed a lot of he missed the entire spring. So that's another kind of thing working against him is he's had too much time missed with injury as well. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how that shakes out. I don't think uh, it, ultimately it's funny. I feel like we spent way too much time on that in general. Everyone has this offseason because it's just it just doesn't matter. Like that fourth running back is really not going to get much playing time barring injury. Even then, I mean, you still have three guys or at least two guys ahead of him. So so we'll move on from that. We'll go on to another position, which is kind of just like ravaged by injuries right now. And, and that is wide receiver where you have mm-hmm. Alshon Jeffrey on the PUP list still. I think he's going to be ready closer to week one than he is week seven. So I would guess he's not going to start the season on the PUP list. He was seen at practice today wearing a helmet off to the side. That seems like a good sign. I had kind of seen him doing a little bit more than I had for most of the offseason in practice last week. I had seen Brandon Graham doing that as well, and Brandon Graham was activated. Honestly, that's probably like 95%. He was just practicing catching with a helmet on. Even still, it's just I like to see it out there. We have Nelson Aguilar, who is day-to-day, hasn't been practicing. Not really worried about that, but still, I mean, it's him missing time. Alshon's not in there. We don't know what's up with Mac Holland still. Uh, Marcus Wheaton apparently has a hamstring, and it sounds like he might not go again this week, which is kind of little bit of a shame because it looked like he I know you feel this way Ben he looked like your uh, easy six receiver Bryce Treggs now has a hamstring is probably out for the rest of the preseason here so how many wide receivers are they even keeping what have we learned about this position honestly here's the most important thing if you are a good college receiver uh, with speed and with explosiveness uh, you can come to Philadelphia and not die and you will just, you will, it's impossible. You'll just, uh, there's a floor that's so sky high. You just want to be drafted here. Because for Nelson Aguilar to look as bad as he did, 2015, 2016, and then turn around the way that he has, and then for the same magic to happen again to Shelton Gibson is bonkers. It, 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 obviously, we've seen no Shelton Gibson regular season plays yet. And Shelton Gibson will likely be fifth on the depth chart. But with injuries, maybe he's oh, wide really? receiver four. I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to jump in there and say, I don't know. Like, the way he's playing, maybe you get him on the field right now. But keep going, Ben. 
I mean, I would be shocked if they put him above Mac, who they drafted at a higher level and actually gave them regular season reps last year. That would be surprising to me. Is that what you're saying? Well, I mean, maybe you see more of a split. Maybe it's like, uh, I think we've joked around with this, like wide receiver 4.5. Like they're each 4.5 instead of 4 and 5 now. Right. But when you release the official depth chart, you're putting Mac above Gibson. Probably for now. But, you know, again, Mac's missed some time, so... It's kind of been a disappointing season or summer for Mac. See, I thought he looked pretty good in the beginning of camp. I, I thought he was, and he was getting those X reps that Alshon was leaving, and he looked fine to me. You know what I mean? Like he he looked to be the same explosive Mac, able to sky, go get footballs through contact. I was just saying, he, I don't think he looked bad as much as he just didn't. I'm, I'm think I wanted to see a little bit more, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's tricky. You know what I mean? You're taking a, a second-year player who was drafted in the fourth round, asking him to take those you know, really wide receiver one reps. But I liked what I saw from him. You know what I mean? He's, he's got a nice physical presence. He's clearly very comfortable with, with Gunter Brewer's old wide receiver coach. That's a good situation for him to be in. I, I you know, I was, I was fine with him. Obviously, missing time at camp is never a good thing. Uh, but I, I was fine with what I saw from him. The 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 moral of the story for me is Gibson developing. I, I mean, are we going to talk about Mike Grell being potentially like a stellar wide receiver coach? And and obviously now offensive coordinator, but still being in the building. I mean, Nelson had his big turnaround in Gro's first year. And then obviously when you draft a wide receiver, you're going to have positional coach input, especially in Philadelphia's uh, front office. We know they talk to their positional coaches. So Gibson was a player that Gro definitely wanted, was on board with. And then in the second year, we've seen massive strides uh, from Gibson, and he's attributed that a lot to the presence of Aguilar. Clearly, you know, these, these players who represent uh, for Philadelphia, kind of game breakers, kind of uh, excellent yak guys, special teams ability. You get the ball in their hands. You can use them as gadget players. Philadelphia's got a really nice mold in place for working with these players, it would seem. Again, we got to see regular season stuff from Gibson. But the big takeaway for me is that if you can take college speedsters and turn them into at least helpful role players, you'll never be lacking for wide receiver talent because there's a bajillion of those in college football, BLG. They're everywhere. Every team has one. You can go pick and choose what you're liking. You know what I mean? So that is, is excellent to see as far as their ability to work within that mold. Now, when it comes to, you know, kind of the, the injury guys and maybe the, the roster bubble guys, I was comfortable with what I saw from Marcus Wheaton. Not amazing, but in the beginning of camp, looking fine, contributing on special teams, a rosterable player. He's kind of fallen to the wayside a little bit, a couple of nagging injuries in camp. Meanwhile, Rashard Davis and, and Greg Ward both have stepped it up, in my opinion, in recent weeks. And so we're at a point where whoever that coaching staff feels they can get the most out of long term is probably who they're going to keep if they're keeping six wide receivers. My money would be Greg Ward, but they have eight players, I think, between Ward, Davis, uh, Wheaton, and then the five who are probably going to be rostered, uh, who I would be comfortable with any of those eight you know, on, on, on a 53 man quite easily. So they're in a good situation as far as the depth, in my opinion. Yeah, I put actually DeAndre Carter as my sixth receiver on my latest 53 man roster. Mm-hmm. Um, it's my 53 man roster, Ben. I can do what I want. I hate your 53 man roster. Your 53 man roster sucks. Well, I'm sure you do. Well, look, come on. Stop stop hurting the traffic, Ben. Now people are going to stop reading it. But um, I just feel like I've seen moments out of him. And uh, obviously he looked good in the second preseason game. He is a little bit older, so I kind of get maybe that's why you're seeing that he's 25 years old as opposed to, you know, like a Richard Davis, who I was, what, probably only 23, 22. Uh-huh. But even still, uh, just, just like what I've seen out of him, he's beaten Ronald Darby a couple times in camp, who Ronald Darby having a great offseason. So kind of caught my eye a little bit. But 
that's neither here nor there. Again, we're talking about a sixth receiver spot. I think the overall takeaway from me at receiver is they just need to get healthy. Like they, like they have these injuries. You were talking earlier about, you know, maybe they don't even feel great about putting Wentz in there week one if Alshon and Aguilar and whoever isn't out there. Again, I think Nelson will be. But moving on to some guys who catch the ball who you do feel really good about. I mean, the tight end position with mm. Richard Rodgers having a week-to-week knee injury. Sounds like maybe they keep four. We'll see. Uh, but it's definitely good. In any case, it's good to hear that's more week-to-week because it could have been season-ending. He was carted off the field, apparently. Knee injury, not great, but could have been worse. But, I mean, Zach Ertz has had a great offseason. He looks as good as ever. Dallas Goddard, very much, as I said all along, without question, no hint of cynicism in my voice was, uh, is the truth. Nope, very, nope, nope. He is the truth. He looks great. He's had a great preseason as well. Ben, I know you specifically have been uh, standing, if you will, for that that four keep four tight ends. So how do you see that position playing out? What did you learn? I learned that I, unlike you, am correct in terms of my Dallas Goddard pre-draft <laughs> evaluation. Loved Goddard coming out, man. So excited. I said it. I was kind of sleep deprived. I'd probably not eaten in a while. Um, but on the live stream of the draft, I said that I thought that Goddard Ertz had Gronk Hernandez potential. Like obviously not year one, but a couple years down the road. And then I'm pretty sure I tweeted it out because I wanted it to get more run. Uh, and then looking back the next day, I was like, oh, dang, that's a hot take. Um, but you look at the way that they get deployed together on the field and it's silly Bo Billy. It's something else. I mean, you don't, and this, this is my big point. Defenses aren't built to handle that. Defenses aren't built to handle two, six, five, six, six, 260 pound guys who are excellent movers. You don't plan for that. You, you def- like, that's like, that should be against the rules, like the codes of conduct. Like the, that's just uh, impolite to do to a defense and you know and and at the end of the day what i talk about when i talk about four tight ends being potentially rostered is i'm talking about the fact that between dallas and zach Ertz, you're going to see just as many wide receiver snaps if not more wide receiver snaps then you're going to see tight end snaps in terms of alignment and so you've got richard rogers who's going to be your your blocker right that's he's going to fill that mold for you more traditional inline tight end which he's decent at it's not anything to write home about what if rogers goes down and you have no other tight ends on the roster. Are you going to be sticking Goddard and Ertz, precious offensive weapons, into more inline reps than what you drilled them in camp, than what you've drilled them in practice, than you want them to have because they're such big pass-catching options for you? I'm looking at this roster. I would love to get a fourth tight end in simply so that I can I can deal with the fact that my tight ends fill two massively different roles in my offense. Zach Ertz is lining up as a slot receiver, as an X receiver. Goddard will be doing the same. You need to have a lot of bodies in there in case of injury if you want these guys to continue filling so many different roles. So I talked about Adam Zaruba a touch before he got injured because I really liked his size coming off the line. He's got good physicality. Billy Brown, how much do you like him as a blocker? Me, I'm not sold, but he's the best they've got left. Josh Perkins ain't Jack. You know, uh, he doesn't mm-hmm. impress me whatsoever. No. Mm-hmm. Nope. I think you're wrong about that, Ben. I think Josh Perkins, is, well, he's literally ahead of Billy Brown on the depth chart that they released, which That's isn't everything. That's the depth everything. chart that doesn't matter, right? That's the depth right? chart the PR but, guys make. But, I mean, that comes from somewhere, though, right? It's not always just random. Like, that could come from somewhere. So, it doesn't mean everything, but it doesn't mean, it doesn't necessarily mean nothing. So, I think you look at that, and then you look at, you couple that with the fact that in the first preseason game, Josh Perkins outsnapped Billy Brown, which I thought was curious. 
Now, Josh Perkins left early because he, I think he had a concussion, some kind of head injury in the Patriots game. So we'll see how long that lasts. But I think he could be ahead of Billy Brown there, which is kind of a little bit of a surprise given that Brown was here in the system last year. But we'll see. I do think, you know, again, four tight ends has gone up, especially with Rodgers missing time here. But but we'll see. And we'll transition now to the offensive line where I don't really think I learned a lot about this position in camp from the sense of the starters. I mean, Jason Peters looks healthy. Everyone else looks great. Your only questions are some of the depth positions. And I think one of the big questions, at least I have asked you every day before practice, is why would they keep Chance Wormack? Like, why would they keep Chance this, Wormack? This has been our, this has been our this greatest team. hit of training camp, man. Me and you. This is, we, we talk, talk about, about this, this at like least every once a day. week. Yeah. <laughs> it would come up because it's so ridiculous. It's like this guy, you can trade him for a conditional seventh, which is the literally the lowest amount of compensation you can receive for anyone. And most teams are willing to give that up because it is a conditional seventh round pick because mm-hmm. you save $1.65 million by trading him. I just and I just there's no position versatility with him. Like what is and he's a free agent after this year. Whereas if you're picking between him and Isaac Samalo, I mean that guy. I know he like look obviously struggled last year. He's had issues with snapping the ball this summer. Although didn't seem to have those issues against the Patriots, which is nice to see. Could be a nice positive step. I know you didn't love what you saw out of him against the Patriots, Ben. Listen, Isaac Samalo is bad. And comfortably better than Chance Warmack at the exact same time, okay? And cheaper, which is not irrelevant. No, it's huge, absolutely. So I think I think uh, I just feel so much better about keeping him than I would Warmack in there. And then I think I guess one of the big things I kind of glossed over here is that Jordan Mailata might actually be a football player. That's a pretty big deal because he could have really come in here. And mm-hmm. obviously, if you didn't read Ben's excellent feature on him, make hey. sure you go do that. I'll put a link in post to that. I mean, look, I had no expectations of this guy. How could you have any? He doesn't know how to play football. <laughs> he hasn't played football. Um, and for him to come in here and to look like a guy who actually might be able to play in the league one day is pretty good. And I also think another thing that gets underrated with Jordan is that it would be very easy for him to have quit by now. Like, it is yeah. not. it should not be an assumption that just because he came over here – like he is going to be your average player, like who is usually from America and tries to give this his best shot until he can't he can't anymore. This could have been like a Danny Watkins situation where he kind of got over here and he's like, man, I am not about this life. Like football is hard. It's not it's not easy. So for him to kind of stick with it as much as he has to this point and look, who knows, maybe he, he reaches that point at some point in the future. But I'm kind of like proud of him and impressed with him so far. How do you feel, Ben? No, I, I, I fully agree with the final point in that. The most amazing thing for me talking with Jordan is that he simply doesn't realize that we all think he should be a lot more upset than he is, right? Like he, as a player, is, is so psyched to be here and has no opinions. You ask him like, yo, today was rough, right? And he's like, nah, man, today was awesome. Like, dude, you got yelled at a lot. You sucked. And he's like, yeah, it was great, <laughs> right? He's just in such a good mood to be here. And it's so cool to see. And also, and this is how I kind of frame things to everybody. How much better is Taylor Hart than Jordan Mailata? Right now, I mean, it, it can't be miles ahead, right? I mean, oh, yeah, he's probably better, but he's not that much better. And he represents a lot longer of an investment than you ever put into Mylotta with how long he's been around and what you've been doing with Taylor Hart. So let's say you, you've got the extra spot 
you know, I look at this Philadelphia offensive line room, and to me, you know, you're very easily keeping three tackles between Big V, Lane, and Jason. Mm-hmm. Five interior is very easy with Kelsey Brooks. Uh, Sam Malo, you should definitely be keeping, in my opinion. That that that's not difficult. Right. Uh, Wisniewski and then Matt Pryor, who maybe you're calling interior, he can kind of swing for you. That's eight. Let's say you're keeping at least nine, which is that's like the lowest you would keep. Warmack, Taylor Hart, or Jordan Mailata. I mean, they may feel differently in the building, but to me and you, I think the most important person of those three to protect is Jordan Mailata. Yeah. Which is, you know, it's, it's very, very silly to think about. And Philadelphia should look at as far as, okay, you know, like last year, they brought in Will Beatty when they needed depth at tackle. That'll probably be a, a list they have readily available again in the sense that it, a Peters goes down, a Lane gets suspended, but Big V goes down, who they can bring in. You know, maybe they are really comfortable with sticking Matt Pryor out there, even though he hasn't taken that many outside reps. But when you look at how many offensive linemen you might keep, to me, you know, my lot is more important to keep than Warmack or than Hart. And that's wild to think about, but he might get 53 manned from the jump. It'd be a crazy story. And I thought there was no chance of that almost earlier this offseason just because of the fact he can't play football yet. Like, he's not ready. Like you, you cannot count on him to play regular season football at any point. Like You, you can't do it. So, but I, I guess, you know, seeing the potential that he has. And then, as you said, you have some of these guys with tackle versatility I mean, really, when you think about it, he's pretty much the sixth tackle option on a projected 53-man roster in the scenario you put where you can put, obviously, so it would be the two starters with Lane and then Jason, and then you have Big V, and then you have, if you need to, Matt Pryor or Isaac out there because we've seen him do that. So that's five guys that could play ahead of him at tackle if need be. I think you can take that 53rd spot out of the 53 guys and kind of use it as basically an extra practice squad spot as a developmental year for him. That's not a guy you want to stash on injured reserve. I've seen some people to suggest that it doesn't make sense to me. Like he needs the reps more than any other player. 100%. Don't no stashing him on injured reserve stash him on the roster. I think he's done enough to show that, you know, there is potential there. And again, that is a, like I know some people, you see him get drafted, and you just like you're you're so excited about what that could be, but it's just not a given. So to see what we've seen, I think that's important and very important for the future position. Moving over to the other side of the ball, Ben, I think one of my big takeaways at defensive end is about a player very near and dear to your heart. Say it, and a, say a player, it, say it without me saying it, please. <laughs> let me let me wash in the glory of this moment. A player who you love to talk about and who the BGN readers and listeners, the gentle readers and listeners, as Michael Kist would say, love to hear you talk about. It's Derek Barnett. I feel like he, you know, for a second year player, I'm not expecting him to be a superstar like you are with the 15th or the 14th pick or, and I know you talked about this on the, the post game show, the Kist and Solak post game show. Make sure you check that out if you haven't already, which I'm sure you already have is that it's just kind of, it's not what you've wanted to see. Kind of like what I said about Mac Collins earlier. To me, it's not that, and it might be different for you, but it's not that he's been bad. I don't think he's been straight up bad. Like You can't say he's had a bad camp. It's just he's had a quiet camp. You haven't seen mm-hmm. as much as you have wanted to see out of him. You know, we can talk about camp and how many serious reps defensive ends get and, and you know, how high their motor is when they know they can't really sack the quarterback. And it's all fuzzy for us. You know what I mean? We're on the outside looking in. But if we... You know, you can simply say, let's look at that second preseason game against the Patriots. Because to me, there was a very clear issue 
uh, which was that Derek Barnett went up against Trent Brown, uh, left tackle acquisition for the Patriots uh, from San Francisco. He's a good tackle who's got his issues. He's a beatable, decent tackle. And he got lambasted. I mean, Brown just beat him time after time again. Like, Barnett did not have really a high-quality win against Brown for uh, several series. And then Stephen Means came out with the second team and beat Brown on consecutive reps, beat Brown on multiple series. It just goes to show you that that Derek Barnett were expecting a second-year jump that I do not think is going to exist. And it's very easy to say, well, he's going to jump in his second year because of anecdotal evidence. One, he's got a full year of NFL coaching and NFL teaching. And two, he was 21. Now he's 22. He was a really young rookie, and so he's going to get better. Okay. Evidentially, however, looking at things, number one, the myth of the second-year defensive end jump is is absurd. Defensive ends increase their sack numbers on average in the 21st century by one from year one to year two. And we, we always talk about second-year edge rushers getting better, even though, again, it doesn't really exist. And then secondly, Barnett, we talk about seeing a big jump in, in snaps, but with 40% last year, moving up to, I think, a ceiling of 50% this year with Chris Long, Brandon Graham, and Michael Bennett all still in the building. I mean, I don't see how this player is going to be more impactful than he was. And he was decently impactful his first year. I expect him to be decently impactful his second year. His entire developmental track is predicated on increased hand usage and smarter rushes because as we've seen in his first year uh, playing at the NFL level, as we saw as a senior at Tennessee, he does not, in my opinion, have the athletic profile to consistently win the outside edge track. And that's not a take that's you know, unique to me. There are Barnett fans, but there's plenty of Barnett detractors. Know. There are plenty know. of Barnett detractors when he came out who <laughs> said he just, he doesn't have that explosiveness to win in three steps to the outside corner. And so, again, decently impactful, good player, young player who's working hard. But I, his ceiling to me is is... is grossly misrepresented by how you know again we, we were getting so many articles who's going to be the breakout star of the nfc east this year Derek barnett four to mm-hmm. five analysts say Derek barnett i think those are unrealistic expectations yeah and i think that really doesn't define the position overall right like it's not like oh man Derek barnett didn't have this offseason this great offseason the eagles are screwed at defensive end no they're going to be fine like that's 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 still a big takeaway for me especially with brandon graham being back i, I feel good about that rotation still you know you're like okay you know he's another year older so is Chris Long, Michael Bennett's up there. I'm not really worried about that. Based on what I saw at a camp and what we'd, we'd seen, those guys are still very much capable of being the players they have established themselves to be. So I feel good about that spot overall. And obviously, you're still seeing good production down the depth chart there as well with Stephen Means, who's looking good in the preseason. Stephen Means. Are they going to roster Stephen Means? I think they are. Same. Especially because... If there is any uncertainty with Brandon Graham, I mean, it doesn't hurt to have him around right now. The only way, I mean, he, you can't cut him. Like, there's no way he's getting cut. The only yeah. way he would not be on the team is if there's some team out there, maybe they lose a starting defensive end, and they're like, hey, we really need an extra pass rusher. Here is like a fifth round pick straight up. I mean, like, I think, you know, at that point, see what Steven means. Although, I would like to keep him around. I think, you know, 20 year old, uh, last year of his contract, I think they would move him at that point. But, but we'll see. I think people, you know, get excited about Josh Sweat, but to me, he's clearly at best the fifth defensive end on this depth chart, and more likely the sixth. So we're probably not going to see too much out of him in 2018, which is fine. But one position that does concern me, Ben, and maybe it's the biggest concern on the team right now, is 
that defensive tackle position. I'd say it is. I don't like Fletcher Cox looks amazing. Like even better than I could think he would reasonably look at this time of year. He is out there in the preseason hustling, maybe too much even. Don't get hurt, Fletcher, because if he does, and that is a guy who looked like he really is gearing up for a kind of defensive player of the year season. Again, hard to get it for him because he doesn't put those numbers. But in terms of impact, I think he's going to be great. Man, outside of him, I mean, what is there? What even is there at defensive tackle right now? Uh, a bunch of young players who I want to be better than they are, and they mm-hmm. won't be better than they are, and it's making me upset. Here's here's the big thing to circle, and let's 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 expand it to defensive line. This has been discussed a lot with defensive tackle, but let's expand it to defensive line. Brandon Graham in a contract year. Michael Bennett is his contract is not guaranteed beyond this year. It's fully team options. Uh, Chris Long almost 100% going to retire after this season from what we're hearing from people in the building right. and how Chris Long is, is approaching his contract. Uh, Steven Means, a uh, free agent after this season. Defensive, interior defensive line. Again, Jernigan, not unlike Bennett. It's all team options. And then you've got Haloni Nada on a one-year deal. And then it's Destiny Veo, who I believe has one year left on his contract because uh, he was a draft was he a drafted player in that in that cluster? No, he was he was undrafted in 2016. So if he's undrafted, then I believe he's on a three year contract, which means that he he is also free agent. That'll be an ex- well, be an exclusive rights okay. free agent, which is basically you have to take a minimum deal. So yeah, so you got Vale, who's who they're putting in at second team defensive end. They're trying to get him first team reps. His hands look better. He's worked, but I don't see the athletic profile of a pass rusher, and I don't see the mass of a run stopper. I don't see an impactful NFL player. Elijah Qualls, who I, I liked coming out of Washington. I thought the Eagles got him at a great sixth-round value. Uh, I knew there'd be a learning curve because he spent time at defensive end for the Huskies. You know, they, they have two gapping and one gapping responsibilities. They do a lot up there. Uh, but in his second year, I've been unimpressed with his motor. I've been unimpressed with his discipline. I haven't seen much learning. He looks lost out there. And then Aziz Shittu, you know, you how much value are we putting in him? You know, undrafted free agent player, 285. He doesn't have great mass, and he's not been able to garner significant reps over Qualls and Veo, who I just said haven't impressed me too much. The, their depth question, <coughs> excuse me, there are depth questions for sure as far as this defensive line goes coming into 2019 and beyond. So you're going to give your young guys looks. Veo, Qualls, you're going to try to get them into live game action this year. You're going to see if somebody can take a step forward in the regular season to help you out. But I certainly agree in that, you know, this this defensive tackle position doesn't look strong for 2018. My major concerns, though, are what it's going to be like moving forward. Man, we got to hope Timmy Jernigan comes back well from this surgery. Yeah, that's the prayer right there. Yeah, it's it's a tough spot because like the defensive line is just so critical to this team's success last year. Yeah. I mean, a, a big reason. Their formula on defense was that they were so stout on the inside there uh, against the run that they would put you in third and long, and at that point they were just teeing off with rotational pass rushers in there just coming at you. Uh, And that was tough for teams to get around. So when you have that a more weak interior in there, that concerns me. Um, I do think it'll – I mean, I don't know. I don't even know if it's going to be – Destiny or Haloti starting next to, next to Fletcher Cox. They've kind of both worked in there at this point. Um, I think behind those guys, I'm not so sure Elijah Qualls makes this team. Like, I, I'm not positive about that. I think you're looking at Bruce Hector all of a sudden get promoted to second team, like we saw in practice last week, which is notable to me. And he outsnapped Elijah Qualls in last week's game. And it wasn't a case where, like, Elijah Qualls only got in with the starters and they pulled him. No, it was like Qualls was playing late in the game. And Bruce Hector still outsnapped him. So I think that's something 
interesting to keep an eye on there. Also, Hector being the recipient of the highest guaranteed money of any Eagles undrafted free agent signing this year. So I think that's another thing to look out for there. But mm-hmm. moving on from the defensive line, getting into linebacker here, Ben, is one of the things I had kind of mentioned earlier with Jim Schwartz. He said that the, the, the battle at weak side linebacker is still open and could really be determined more so this week. I mean, to this point, we have seen Nathan Gary get those reps uh, as, a, as a starter. But to me, I'm partial to Kamu Gruje-Hill. And then Corey Nelson, I mean, I know you listed him as one of your winners, I believe, Ben. But to me, he's been invisible for most of this summer. And I'm not sure you saw, but the Eagles cutting Corey Nelson would potentially save them Six. a six-round pick. So that's significant. It would also save them, I think, a million in cap space. So what do you see that battle coming at, Ben, here? What have we learned from training camp based on what we've seen? And then I have another question for you after that. Yeah, we've, we, we've talked about Nelson and the values of cutting him. And if you don't think you need him and you're going to get significant snaps out of him, you know, I'm fine with it. It's, it's, it's a player. He's replaceable for sure. I listed him as one of my winners because, like you said, uh, he's been invisible for me up until the Patriots game where there are two plays uh, in my distinct memory and then I think a couple more where I just jotted it down in the margins uh, where I was like, oh, good play by that backer. And then the scrum kind of empties out and the players head back to their sides and it was 52. I was like, oh, snap. All right. Corey's doing some stuff. Here we go. We got some life. You know what I mean? Uh, here's To me, the long and short of it is this. Uh, Camus is the best coverage backer of those three. Corey Nelson has gotten... And the, the PFF love uh, from he had a great coverage season. I think it was in 2016. Nate Gary has the more immediately recognizable secondary background. Camus also has that sort of a background. But Gary obviously is uh, only a year and change removed from being a safety for Nebraska. But Camus t- seems to me the best man coverage and then also the best zone coverage linebacker of those three. And that's what I'm interested in. Camus is also an excellent rusher off the side. I think he provides great blitz value, which... In last season, from 2016 to 2017, Jim Schwartz upped how often he blitzed that Will Backer by a significant percentage. And he's been showing so many more five-man looks on that line of scrimmage than we ever saw from like the 2013 Jim Schwartz, the 2014 Jim Schwartz. You know what I mean? He's It's been a big step up as far as the man who was born and bred on that wide nine. He's clearly been evolving. And so I think that there is value in a linebacker who can blitz really well. And to me, that's Camus. Uh, Camus provide he may not be the run defender that Gary is he may not be the physical tackler that Gary is and I see the appeal there but it, in coverage and on the passing downs coverage and blitzing what matters to me the most a Camus has had a clear edge and I think he's comfortably in the lead for that spot I'm all in on Camus Camus but it's funny we're even Camus yes I want that to become a thing at the link obviously just you know Camus exploding into the backfield tackle for loss or or sacking a quarterback and just the whole crowd at the link is just come it'd be great um one of the other things here at linebacker it's funny because going into last week's preview show bgn radio episode one i had mentioned that the weak side linebacker competition is kind of silly and because we all know that guy isn't going to play a lot and i feel like jordan hicks is ultimately the really bigger story at linebacker because uh-huh. you're getting him back and that's huge and of course jordan decided to hate me and have some missed tackles against the Patriots, which was not great. He got stiffed arm a couple times, but he also did have some nice tackles as well. But the reason why I bring it to Hicks here is that he is guaranteed to be a starting linebacker in week one. Anyone else? I don't know. And that is something Jim Schwartz had addressed today, because with Nigel Bradham serving that one game suspension to open the season against Atlanta, Jim Schwartz said it's not just about 
figuring out who that weak side linebacker is. It's also about figuring out what their week one rotation or, or configuration is going to look like. So, Ben, mm-hmm. week one, who are the Eagles linebackers? Uh, it's Camus at Sam, Gary at Will, and Hicks at Mike. And when we were talking on so much about this Will and who's going to play the position because Bradham plays the Sam. But 15 years ago, when it, where you put your tight end in line and where your running back was in the backfield mattered so much more as far as running direction goes – the Sam and Will mattered because your Sam was a hog. He was an animal. He was a, a beast. And he would crash down to the line of scrimmage. He would take on offensive linemen. And your Will was more of a run and chase guy. Well, now your Sam needs to be able to run and chase. Your Will needs to be able to fill down the line of scrimmage. They are, at this point, uh, they have interchangeable responsibilities. They've given Camus a ton of time at the Sam. In part because he's a great man coverage guy over the tight end. You know what I'm saying? And and that's the thing about Nigel Bradham is that we underestimate. Bradham's one of the best coverage linebackers in the league, and we don't talk about it enough. And so Camus to Sam makes a lot of sense. It's something we've seen them do in camp since day one. And then Gary's going to stay on this roster, I think. You know, they've clearly invested in him. And, and it's important to note, Gary's got a big championship belt in his locker. Uh, for being the workout warrior for the Philadelphia Eagles. I asked him about it, and he basically, he just was the best lifter, like as far as guys who improved their strength from year one to year two, or at least, I should say 2017 to 2018. Uh, he, he he had the best results for the weight room, and so he's clearly been putting work in, uh, and the coaching staff is going to respect and acknowledge that. So that's what I would envision. What I find interesting is once we get to week two, Jordan Hicks missed a few tackles against the Patriots. Jordan Hicks is, is playing Mike at around 232, 235, if memory serves, a little bit on the lighter side. And Nigel Bradham experienced calling the signals last season when Hicks went down. And as you alluded to, that will position doesn't really matter as much. I guess my question to you, is Jordan Hicks really going to be the Mike in this entirety of this 2018 season, given the fact that he's in a contract year? Or are we going to see Bradham and Hicks kind of divide Mike responsibilities a little bit, and then Hicks get some of those more Will-esque snaps as far as what he's asked to do and where he's aligned? Yeah, it's really a fair question because we've seen some of that, right? We've yes. seen the Eagles put Joe Walker at <laughs> first out, team, Mike. 2017 Ed Block Courage Award winner, Joe oh, Walker. Oh, my bad, my bad. Full title. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I don't think it's impossible. I don't think we've seen a lot of two linebacker with Bradham at Mike and moving Hicks out as much. I think Hicks has been in the middle for for the most part, but there could be some different tweaks there. I wouldn't rule it out. But I I am excited to see Jordan Hicks. That's kind of one of my most maybe like low-key or underrated reasons why I'm excited about this season, just because it's so easy to forget how good he was. I know he gets hurt. But look at that 2016 season. He was awesome. The, the only one all-pro vote in the greatest, most ridiculous upset and 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 shameful voting of all history of all time. One all-pro vote 2016 season. That's what That happened? I didn't even... He got one all-pro vote? He got only vote? one. And like Alec Ogletree got four or something. And I nearly oh killed gosh. everybody. Wow. Fake news. So moving on to the second last defensive position here. Another one that Schwartz highlighted today and Monday was... Cornerback. Now, we know Ronald Darby is having a pretty awesome offseason. I think Jim Schwartz even went as far to say he's having one of the best offseasons on the team. So that's that's pretty high praise. He also said that Ronald Darby needs to start catching some passes here instead of just breaking them up. And I agree that would be a very good thing. But you feel good about Ronald Darby. Uh, Jalen Mills has had some kind of nagging issue. It doesn't sound like it's serious. He should be back mm-hmm. soon. So we know those guys are going to be in the outside. That's set in stone. 
But who is starting in the slot? We still don't know, Ben. And I want to get on a little thing here. Look, get on that thing. You know, there's there's been a lot of Sidney Jones hype. I am not an anti Sidney Jones guy by any means, but I'm not also going to say he's going to be this instant impact player, especially when he's still competing for a job in late August. I want to see more. I, I like some of the things I have seen, but I, you can't just expect him to come in here day one and be this kind of impactful player that I think people think he can be because I, I think I'd like to phrase it this way. He hasn't had a top 15 pick kind of camp. Mm-hmm. Is that agreeable? Do you agree with me on that? Well, it's interesting because uh, we weren't trashing Derek Barnett for not having a top 15 sort of camp, but I digress. Yeah, I agree with you. Oh, I said he was quiet. I didn't. I didn't. Oh, I, oh, I don't expect him to be the superstar. You expect him to be with pick 14. It's exactly what you said. I've got you cornered. Oh, boy. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Continue. No, I was just saying. Uh, so wh- what do you what do you make of Sidney Jones and what you saw out of him in training camp? I think some people it just seemed like the hype. It seems like people are projecting with him sometimes. Like early on in camp, there was some buzz about him like, oh, he looks awesome. And I'm like, is this just me? Am I not seeing it? What's the deal here? And I feel like the fact that, again, he's still competing for the slot corner job with Avante Maddox, who wasn't really even in the mix for this thing until like last week, kind of says he hasn't been setting the world on fire there. Yeah, it's interesting to me because I think most of it is just going to be not not even like confirmation bias, but simply when when you draft a player who's not going to play for a whole season, which the Eagles did at 43 overall, knowingly, you immediately say, oh, it's going to be crazy when he comes back out in 2018, man, it's going to be nuts. And then in the middle of the season, when you're just thinking about how great the Eagles are, you know, as they're on their way to the playoffs of the Super Bowl, you tweet out, yo, I'm so excited. Cindy Jones coming back next season is going to be wild. You know, and then the off season, we're talking about nothing, and it's all boring. We just want training camp. And what's the exciting thing to tweet about? The rookies. And Sidney Jones has never had a camp, so he's basically a rookie. So, oh, can't wait. Sidney Jones, first season back, is going to be nuts. He was a top 20 grade for a lot of people. And then he comes and he has camp, and he makes one play. Like, there it is. That's Sidney Jones. You know, because we've been talking literally over a year how great of a camp he's going to have and how... You know, he's going to represent such a cool addition to the team. Like, you know, after that redshirt year, you know, that bonus coming in. And so you want it to be that way and you end up gassing things. I guess it's an easy trap to fall into is what I'm saying. I wouldn't say he's looked bad. I would say he's looked like you would expect right. a rookie cornerback coming off of a significant injury to look. You know what I mean? That's, and then playing a position he's not necessarily Exactly. Used to. Like it is as wild of a like a tectonic shift for a young player as you can possibly have. I'll say this. I don't think Devontae Bowsby's looked better than him. I don't, th- I don't think Avante Mattis has looked better than him. So if right. we're just going by somebody's got to fill the role, then yeah, I think it's going to be Sydney. Am I super stoked about Sydney Jones week one against Calvin Ridley in the slot? No, that's mm. not going to be great. I don't think that's going to be fun for anybody. But I said this to you, I think about a week ago, and I don't know if you remember, I very much envisioned Sydney having a rough couple of weeks to start, getting his sea legs under him, getting beat, you know, under, undergoing the full christening that every young quarterback has to go through when he first joins the league and he gets beat up by NFL wide receivers. And by middle end of the season, I think he'll be fine. You know what I mean? This is a guy who just yeah. simply did not play football for a very long period of time at a huge developmental point in his life because it was his first season in the NFL, right? And and I know mentally from talking with, with a couple guys, you know, as far as uh, some of the receivers, some of the corners, and then hearing some conversations just off on the side that Sydney has been you know, just struggling mentally in camp with 
messing up and getting frustrated with himself and getting down on himself. You know, I'm sure he wants to come back and be the the first round pick he thought he deserved to be. And 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 he's I'm sure he's had frustrating frustration boiling over since he tore his Achilles on that you know fateful day in March. So it's it's a it's a tough and long road for him. I anticipate some rough, rough games to start the season, but he's a talented player. He's skilled. He's got natural gifts. He's a smart player. Rocky Road, I think by the time we get to like week 12, he should be a known, decently good quantity in the slot. And then it's how good of a player can you become from there. And we talk about prospect age with Derek Barnett. I mean, Sidney Jones is young too. He's 22 years old. Mm -hmm. Like this is, he's a, a very young talent who I am not down on again by any means. I just kind of, I want to pump the brakes a little bit on expectations. I'm sorry. Did you say I, I want to hate the expectations? I want to. I, yeah. I despise. Any, I'm sorry. I just could, the audio cut out a little bit. I want to Donnell Pumphrey the expectations here. No, that was unnecessary. No, that was just, it was a pump joke. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think he's obviously going to have a role. He's going to play on this team. I think Maddox is probably going to get more playing time than I thought he would, which is almost like none this year. I feel like the fact that they've been mm -hmm. mixing him in here into the slot. Maybe there's certain matchups they feel like they can get him in on. When you're maybe you're going up against a smaller, shiftier. Let, yeah, let me ask you this: receiver. the the offense comes out week one, Atlanta Falcons with four wide receivers on the field. Uh, what corners are you putting out? Assuming you're not putting Malcolm in the slot over somebody. Okay, so I mean, you have the obvious guys and Jalen and Darby, and it's Sydney, and then. I guess it is Maddox too, right? I mean, who else are you putting? I mean, are you putting Rizul? Right. Are you shifting someone and putting Rizul out See, there? My, I mean, my gut, obviously, I haven't sat in any of the rooms. My gut, as far as what they would do and what I would do personally, is put Rasul out there over somebody and move Jalen Mills down inside. That would be okay. what my gut would be. Yeah. If you're choosing between a second slot, though, and it's Bowsby and Maddox, you're taking Maddox? Yeah, I mean, I don't know... If Bosby's a lock to make the team at this point, you really you know? think so? I mean, Maddox is. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying I'm. I, I put him on my 53, the latest one. So I'm not. I don't have him cut just yet. But he's he hasn't been as good lately. I feel like, and he's he. I feel like he's on the bubble. I don't. I'm not cutting him just yet. But I, I do feel like he's a little bit closer to being cut than I previously. To thought. me, in this league with this de with how defenses are. Keeping six corners just makes a lot of sense, and he's clear six. I agree. That's what I'm saying. I don't. I don't mind. Yeah. yeah I don't. I don't. But you know who knows. So uh, I want to move on to safety. Uh, I, I really don't have a lot for this position. I feel like sometimes it's easy to take for granted how good Malcolm Jenkins is and how versatile. He it's is. shocking and to me in my first training camp how good of a practicer Malcolm Jenkins is. I, oh, I yeah. never would have like I've heard. But I never would have guessed it. Like we're talking about, like sprinting out to the ball to be the first person there to line up, sort of rookie nonsense. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it it clearly has an effect on the safety room. Malcolm watches other safeties reps to help them with like like hands on his knees, hunched over, sort of intensity. You know and I mean, he loves to practice. Right. So yeah, no, Malcolm's a stud. Rodney is a good player. They've been rotating him down mm -hmm. to the box more probably just to get him those reps. Trey has been up and down a little bit better in the second preseason game for me. Uh, the first one against the Steelers was woof. Uh, yeah, it was yeah they like him as a box player. Uh, they, they're trying to get him those reps over the tight end again. I think they're just trying to work all their safeties into box reps just to feel that out. And then it's Corey Graham, who I don't think is good, but they bring him in because they know who he is. You know, at this point, like, I don't think it's any mystery which four safeties they're keeping. I don't think it's any mystery what roles those safeties are going to fill for them. Uh, it's a question of, you know, how good is that depth going to be with Sullivan and Graham? You know, we, let's hope. And then what yeah. happens with Chris Marigos too, which 
we don't know. It seems like to me he's going to start the season on the PUP list, mm-hmm. and I think they'll just make a decision on him later. You know, because that buys you time. Like you, he, he'll be out for six weeks, keep him on the PUP list, and then you don't have to activate him then if you want to stash him away. But I don't know. We'll see about that one. Um, I just don't think we learned a ton about safety overall. I mean, you, you, Corey Graham's back. You know, we would see maybe if, if Trey Sullivan had really stepped up, they wouldn't have re-signed him. But I guess, you know, that's not the case. So we can move on to our final position here before we get into some winners and losers, an unconventional edition of winners and losers. But uh, special teams, I think that the big thing here, obviously, is Cam Johnston. I think he's going to stick as the punter. Now, John Ryan just got cut then from the Seahawks. Are you interested in signing John Ryan or is Cam Johnston your guy? I don't. I don't attack the waiver wire for punters. That's not a thing that I do. I, I, I would not <laughs> stoop so low as the defending Super Bowl champions to quickly snap up a punter before another team did. I don't know. Johnston, it's tricky to evaluate punters in camp because Johnston could be trying to land a 40-yard punt on the left sideline, but he's kicking from like the 10, and we just wouldn't know it. You know, It was very difficult, and, and you try to watch the way that he drops – ball and how he approaches and when he talks to the, the coaches but at that point you're, you're educated guessing in the games he's been fine he's not Donnie Jones he's not as good as Donnie Jones was Donnie Jones was a great punter shout out Donnie Bones uh but I think yeah Johnson's clearly rosterable Jake Elliott is great and then he misses an extra point and you're like why Jake and he just kind of shrugs he's like that's the deal and you're like okay Jake I accept and then Rick Lovato you have not noticed anything about him which means he's a good long snapper because you don't yeah. notice anything yes. the end yeah, I mean, Elliot did have one rough day of practice. Uh, it was when we were there inside the bubble. Yeah, so there was no like, wind or conditions or anything. But, I mean, that's it's just one day. He's been good overall, but that was kind of a little bit, uh. Yeah, I would also argue that having the post directly up against the wall of the... Okay, changes the, the perception. Changes your depth perception. You know what I mean? Like, I was trying... Fair, I, I couldn't. I can't, like, get a feel for that because I couldn't go stand on the field. But I was thinking to myself, like, that lack of depth that just to me throws off what the goalposts look like. You know what I mean? But I, maybe, right. maybe I've, I've never kicked a thing in my life. So that's just conjecture. I mean, yeah, it's just it was a little thing to, to note, especially because he missed the extra point in the preseason game, too. But I'm not I'm not worried about Jake. So now this is a fun idea. I feel like it's fun. I'm allowed to say that. I mean, it is yours. So shout it out. It is my idea. So I feel like shout out to me on this one where I thought it'd be fun to come up with some winners and losers from training camp, but not be- with the players. I mean, we already know. Yeah, players are lame. We, we've already just talked about all of that. We're, we need to talk about the things that just totally don't even register with some of the audience because you were not there. But it's our job to bring that to you. So I want to do some winners and losers, Ben. And I'm going to get us started here with you, Ben. I think you are one of the winners of training camp. Miranda. You got off to a rough start, not having the phone charged, just uh, talking to Donnell Pumphrey as the first player. That's not a mistake. I'm just kidding. But um, <laughs> it was a rough start, but I think you really settled in, bud. You did a good job. Uh, you, you produced one of the best things, that I think, to come out of training camp coverage of any outlet, which was your Jordan Mylotta story. You were there every day to help me out for the most part, and I appreciate that, bud. So I'm going to put you as one of the winners from training. Ah, thanks, man. That, no, seriously, that means a lot. It was so much fun. Uh, incredible experience. You know, you're looking at your summer as a college student, and you want to apply to all these internships to gain experience to do this job. 
and then it turns out you can just skip all that and just do this job as the experience, which was kind of baptism by fire, you know, faux pas and, and, and little mistakes all over the place. But really, uh, just an incredible learning experience. I'm glad I got to produce some good content. Still got good stuff in the works. Obviously, going to talk to some more players, do some more good stuff. So I'm excited about that. Man, it was fun. It was a wonderful experience. And I learned a lot. So thank you. Uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to put you as one of my winners because I feel like I, I can't evaluate any of the beat reporters on how they should have done for training camp. My Should I go for a loser? Should we alternate? Either way. Give me either one. Okay. My loser is Dunkin' Donuts. And let me tell you why my loser is Dunkin' Donuts, Brandon. Yes. Because I was told by you uh, that we would get Dunkin' every day, that the cart would be there and they would be supplying us with little little baskets of, of munchkins, little bags, just enough munchkins to make you feel good in your tummy and little shots of iced coffee. And I was excited for that as a true Northeastern Pennsylvania at heart. Uh, my town has one McDonald's, one Wendy's, one Burger King, one Starbucks, and four Dunkin' Donuts in it. So we know where our priorities are at as far as uh, chains go. And I was pumped. Day one, there were no Dunkin'. Day two, no Dunkin'. And so on day three, because I'd already been primed for it, I stopped at Dunkin' before training camp, got myself a small iced coffee, a little mocha flavored. was very excited. was very satisfied. And I show up, and who's at practice but the freaking Dunkin' truck? At once I gave in, and I bought myself my own Dunkin'. Then they decided to show up very dastardly. Did not appreciate it. Dunkin's a big loser. It is really surprising, the inconsistency with them. Usually, now let, let me set the stage here for them. In fairness to them, in years past, they've been there every single day. So I give them credit for that consistency in the past. But this year, it was like they were here one day, not another. Like, it was too random. Like, they were not reliable. Dunkin' Donuts, you got to step it up next training camp. Now, Ben, I just gave you a big compliment, obviously. So now I have to to take you down. This is what I do. I got to keep you level-headed here. Uh, One of my losers in training camp, and this kind of corresponds with a winner of mine, is uh, a loser for training camp was every player that Ben likes in I training camp. I dispute this winner-loser <laughs> juxtaposition well, here. But we had to check the chart. Winner, under winner, it also is every player that I like. So Yes, that's what I'm disputing. That's some hard evidence to go up against. I mean, look, I'm... I don't know who makes this list. I mean, there's no way to know. It's just, it's, I'm just reading it. It seems pretty fair to me. I can't even tell you guys how many answers Brandon has for when a player that he doesn't like that I liked had a good play. There was an excuse for everything. Every good play that Danelle Pumphrey would have or that Dallas Goddard would have or that, uh, you know, Elijah Qualls would have, uh, anybody. You know, I would be like, oh, man, did you see that? And Brandon would be like, listen, like, the offense wasn't even trying. That was a practice rep. You know what I mean? Look, oh, that, that player's getting yelled at right now. Oh, man, the sun was in his eyes. Everything. Brandon's just so dismissive of every good take that exists outside of his preferred cache of players. I've seen behind the curtain. It's a highly favored favoritism curtain. It's a curtain of favoritism, and it lies. And this is, this is, this is my expose on Brandon Lee Gowden, editor and manager of Bleeding Green Nation. That's right. No one is listening to this at the hour and 20 point of this podcast. That <laughs> We've is, lost them all. It is a marathon. No one, we have buried the lead. But um, a, a couple other ones I wanted to get into here, which are very important. I want to give a shout out to Tim McManus from ESPN. He brought donuts in on the last day of training camp. That's an awesome move. Is a, is a big, is a good move. He didn't have to do that. He's Look, Tim McManus isn't like, you know, a new guy here. He's been here for a long time. For him to do that... It's not like he's trying to curry favor with anyone. Just a just a good move. And there were I think there was a Boston cream donut in there. I don't know if there was, but if mm-hmm. I, I guess I didn't have one, so maybe there wasn't. 
Now I'm reconsidering. No, I'm kidding. It was it was a good you move. You did have a Boston cream donut one day. You got me one too, which also counts. It is I don't it's not enough to put you in the winners because then like if if I'm just saying because then you can't just, you know, buy me over here. I mean, you have to it has to be for the whole house. But I will say it was a great move by you and you did the selections were very impressive. You picked what? A glazed donut and a Boston cream and, and Boston cream being the best and glazed donut also up there. Very strong choices. Um, mm-hmm. One more thing I wanted to get into this losers before I'll, I'll give you your final one, Ben, here is the, the overzealous security guards at Eagles training camp who just look, I know they have a job. I know they're told certain things, but you got to understand there's a yellow line that kind of, you know, uh, is the demarcation point for where reporters and fans are allowed to stand up until and then the field, the practice field for the players. And now look, if someone's over that line, I get they have to tell them to, to go back beyond the line. But if someone's foot is barely touching the yellow line and they are just like freaking out about it, it's like, what are we doing, guys? Like, like this inch of a difference, like what is it's so arbitrary. So any of those people who are a little just taking the human element out of it and were being too overzealous, they're in the losers. Any security guards who didn't do that and did a great job, they go in the winners because there are some great people there who are very friendly didn't do anything crazy like that. Those are my winners. But the overzealous ones, you know who you are. You are the losers of this training camp. Ben, do you have any more winners and losers for me? I will say shout out to Lupita, who was the uh, the security guard at that one corner where I was taking videos of a part of practice that, oh, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to take videos. Wink, wink. Uh, so go appreciate my end zone reps, uh, uh, wide receivers versus cornerbacks, because those videos were highly illegal. And that was because I knew the security guard on that side. But anyway... My one last winner will be uh, Rita's Water Ice, who was there every day. Yes. Obviously, Brandon and I uh, tore a disagreement, uh, mango being the best flavor of water ice. Brandon thinks it's Swedish fish. Yes. Both quite good. I tried them both. Okay. Mango's still the better. I will say shout out, Brandon, because you told me that uh, lemon was a good flavor. And I did, they didn't have it, but they, you told me this. And then I was at a regular Rita's, like a building, yeah. uh, a few days later this past weekend. And I tried the lemon. And let me tell you. So refreshing. That was quite a good water ice flavor. Yes, and it is. And I was surprised and, and uh, pleasantly surprised. And I found it to be an enjoyable experience. But they were there every day. Same two workers. Eventually, they just looked at me and they started putting mango in a cup. Because they knew what was popping, and every day it was very hot, and they were killing it out there. So shout out to Rita's, truly representing Philadelphia and showing up every day for training camp. Listen, you got to show up for training camp, man. You got to be present every single day if you want to get the coaches to notice you. So shout out to Rita's. We have one more thing I want to get to Ben, and that is a post that I had posted on BleedingGreenNation.com. So go check that out. What do I do about the breaking news banner that says the Eagles are Super Bowl champions? Like I don't know what to do about this. Like. Do I keep it up? What if they lose a game? Do I take it down? I, it's it's something I think about a lot. So, Ben, I wanted to get your take on it before we close out here today. Here's the question. If you take the banner down, does that mean the Eagles didn't win the Super Bowl? I don't know. That's that's why I'm right? so Will the Lombardi Trophy it. just, like, vanish? Will it just disintegrate? Man. Here's what I say. Here's what I say, Brandon. In order to change the breaking news banner... It has to be a very important piece of breaking news. And then you can go back to doing it the way you always have, which is just whatever the biggest, most recent news is, you put it up there. So I say once we get an official stance that Carson Wentz will be playing in a regular season National Football League game, that becomes the new breaking news because that is such an important thing. So that replaces the breaking news banner, the Super Bowl banner. And then once 
the Carson one is up, then you can start treating the banner like you always had before the Super Bowl. That's what I think is a good strategy. I still am very undecided, but I appreciate that, Ben. I will weigh everyone's opinion into consideration and then completely ignore it and just do what I want to do anyway because I can do that. So this Autonomy is a beautiful thing. <laughs> this has been BGN Radio episode number two. Again, I want to thank you, Ben, for joining me here today. This is an hour and oh, like almost an hour and 30 minute podcast we're doing. I like to do a long pad every now and then. It makes sense, I think, too, because, you know, like we're starting out here. You kind of got to get familiar with us, different dynamics and everything. This is the first podcast I've ever done with you uh, as when we were just hosts. I was a guest, obviously, on one of your old podcasts that mm-hmm. you were on on a former network. But uh, it was a fun time. I, again, I want to thank everyone for listening. I want to tell everyone that it is very helpful for us for you to subscribe to bgn radio on any kind of app that you have it should be on most of them soundcloud or or sorry not soundcloud anymore stitcher uh apple podcast all spotify all of those again five star ratings and reviews two separate things there give it a five star rating and then leave feedback in the review really appreciate that we will have more awesome content coming your way this week as we are kind of figuring things out in the preseason here, I believe I'll be doing a podcast with your main co-host there, Benjamin Solak, with Michael Kiss. So that should be fun. God be with you. Uh, it'll look. It'll be. It'll be a fun time. So we have a lot of cool stuff coming your way. Hopefully, again, I want to thank you for listening to this episode of BGN Radio Number Two, right here on BleedingGreenNation.com. Hey, everybody! How you doing? Well, that's good. My name is Bill Matz. I am the director of Fun and Games for Broad Street Hockey Radio Podcasts. And I am Kelly, the deputy managing editor of BroadStreetHockey.com. I'm Steph Driver, the NHL editorial manager for SB Nation. And I am Charlie O'Connor, lead Flyers writer for TheAthletic.com. And together we make up BSH Radio, one of the shows that you get at the SB Nation podcast family. We have a lot coming to you this year, and we want you to listen to our show. It is just an all-flyers, all-the-time show, so much content. I really hope you listen to it. It is a great piece of the SB Nation podcast family, along with all your other favorite sports. We all love hockey, specifically the Flyers. Let's go the Flyers. The hockey team, the Flyers.